welcome back to the Latin podcast. Last week we discussed Catullus poem 2 and I spoke about the sexual undertones of the poem and the innuendo of the word parser or sparrow. We also had a quick look at some of the poetical techniques used within the poem as well. So today we will continue our journey with Catullus and the sparrow with poem 3. Lugeto veneres cupidinesque et quantest ominum venestiorum passer mortuus est miae puellae, passer deliciae miae puellae, quem plus iloculus suis amabat, nam melit tu serat suam que norat, ipsam tam bene quam puella matrem, nexes agremiilius moebat, sed circum siliens moduc modiluc, ad solum dominusque pipiaba, qui nunc et Periter tenebri cosum illuc unde negant ridire quemquam, at vobis malesit male tenebre, orci quomina bella devoratis, tam bellum mihi passer abstulistis, o factum male, O misele passer tua nunc opera miae puellae. Flendo turgiduli rubent oculi. O Venus and Cupids, and whatever is left of pleasant people, weep. The sparrow of my girl is dead, whom she loved more than her own eyes, for it was sweet and had known her as well as a girl knows her mother. Nor did it move itself from her lap, but ran around first this way and then that. It sang to its mistress only, who now goes through the gloomy passage where a return journey is denied. But may it be bad for you, wicked shadows of Orcus, who devour every beautiful thing, you have stolen such a beautiful sparrow from me. O wicked deed, O miserable sparrow, now by your deeds the clenched eyes of my girl grow red with weeping. There we have it, a not-so-happy ending for our sparrow. But there is much in this poem to unpack, and so we should, like the sparrow, begin our journey. This poem shares many similar characteristics to poem two. Their subject is the parser, or the sparrow, and this unnamed miae puellae. This poem uses the noun gremium, which can be translated in a few ways, much like the sinus from poem 2. And while sinus in poem 2 has a broad range of meanings, it is a more, to me at least, impersonal and uncaring, and perhaps naive way of looking at the female body and for the Catalan reader, for looking at sex. Gremium has a much more narrow scope, 
and can be translated as lap, bosom, heart, center, protection, and affection. This, and again for myself, invokes a more tender, personal, and revered way of looking at the same subject. So while we have continuity between the poems as sparrow poems, their tones feel very different. Sinus was surrounded with this feeling of jealousy and anger with the qui quem qui, if you remember from the last episode. So we have this impersonal view mixed with jealousy and anger from poem two, but now we switch to a more tender personal view that is surrounded with misery and regret. And this is a theme that I'm going to focus on for our analysis of this poem's meaning. Poem 3 opens with a lament to Venus and Cupid, the ancient Roman goddess of love and the god of desire, respectively. Now this is a love poem, and it seems fitting, perhaps even comical, to invoke these two figures, particularly for a sparrow. But I want to take it further, or deeper. What if we take the parser not as a sparrow or a phallic symbol, but as innocence or virginity? So now, rather than a lament to the figures of love and desire about a dead sparrow or a limp, you know, um, it's a lament of the loss of innocence, of one's virginity. Let us now link this reading in with our understanding of the noun gremium. This personal and tender noun upon which is placed the poet's innocence. Nexesse a gremio ilius moerbat. Nor did it move itself from her lap or her heart or her protection. Here we have this image of a closely guarded or protected parser. Ultimately though this protection is removed and now the parser is gone and cannot be reclaimed, and it's this act of losing the parser which causes the grief of the Mii Puellae and the poet. So, is this then a coming-of-age poem in which Catullus is describing the loss of one's virginity? Is it the poet's loss of virginity and the regret felt after having wished for such a thing at the end of poem two? I cannot be sure, but to take this poem from one in which it would be easy to see a comical side to one of deep regret and personal turmoil shows us the beauty and the complexity of Catullus as an author. He allows the audience to read as little or as much as they want into his work. Still not convinced? Well, what if I told you that Catullus could have used sinus or sinu just as he did in poem two? It would have fit the meter. It would have had a similar meaning. Why would he not then? What was the purpose of shifting the tone of this poem with replacing Sinu with Gremio? Speaking of meter, what interesting bits can we pick out of this poem? This poem is a lament and it's well suited to the long ovals, the am, m endings as this gives it an almost ritual or incantation feel when it's read aloud. I also like the amount of elision in this poem, and for those of us who aren't familiar with this term, it's basically a blending of vowel endings with a word that begins with a vowel. Though we have many in this poem, 
lugete or veneres, the final e in lugete blends with the o, lugeto veneres. Then nexese a gremio ilius, the second e elides or blends with the a, nexesa, and then the o of gremio elides with the i in ilius, gremiilius. Just a, a few examples there. Now, this could be my poor spoken Latin, I admit, but I think the elisions within this poem are almost like areas of sobbing. And I find this especially so for the line Nexesse a gremio ilius moebat, or if we use the elisions, Nexesse a gremio ilius moebat. Because there are two elisions within quick succession, it's muddy, it's blurry, and it all centres around where we find this word gremio. And much like the poet losing the parser, we lose the gremio in this tangle of elisions. And it's a very clever trick of Latin meter and poetry. I think it highlights the importance of gremio by removing its prominence, if that makes sense. Interestingly, the areas which have no elisions and are more clear and forceful are those in which the poem talks about the loss of the parser and being unable to regain it or it being able to return. And so we have this, these two forces almost within this poem. We have the elision heavy side in which we are mourning the loss of the parser and all the innocence that it that comes with it. And then we have this clear anger, regret in the in the lines that that are all about having lost it, not being able to find it, of what a miserable thing life is now without the parser. I might leave it here for this episode. Uh, I'm hoping to get an episode out at least once a fortnight, and I hope those of you still listening will join me again. If you would like to have a chat about anything that I have mentioned or let me know of anything I've missed, please feel free to tweet me at, at that classicist or send an email to thelatinpodcast at gmail.com. Next episode, we will continue our journey with Catullus, and for this one I'm open to suggestions. I have a few in mind, but I'd like to know what my audience would like. So please, if there's a poem or poems that you would like me to to have a look at, uh, please let me know. Thank you, and until next time.